Hey, you're listening to The Freedom You Show, where each week we explore the issues of sexual addiction and recovery so that in every area of your life, you can live free and you can live well. Hey everybody, this is Kevin and Doug, and we're here today to talk about five tips for getting free from sexual addiction. You know, this is obviously for us the Christmas season, the holiday season, and you know, for a lot of people, this is a a real special time of the year where there's a lot of family celebration, there's a lot of hope for people, and expectation for things going well in their life. And yet, in reality, this can really be one of the most difficult seasons for most people. And Doug, I'm sure you've seen that a lot in your practice. Oh, that's that's a big for sure. I mean, to me, I mean, from Thanksgiving to Christmas is the hardest time of the year for people that are struggling with broken family issues, Mm -hmm. uh, family of origin issues, or if, if things just aren't looking good at the home front. This is really a tough time. I don't know how many men are trying to figure out if they get to see their kids this Christmas season, you know, and if so, I mean, or if they're going to go visit their family where they're dealing with a lot of shame and judgment that's coming on them, it's actually a tough time of year. So, so a lot of times, like there's a hope in getting together with family for that promise of connection, hope of intimacy. And then when you get together with the family, it blows up into conflict. It, you know, there's that shame there, you know, past messages that are communicated, like, you know, you're a horrible person. We really didn't want to be here, but it's Christmas, so we have to be here. And so that that expectation of like, hey, maybe this is the year where we can connect. Maybe this is the year where everything's all forgiven. This is going to be the year of it's a wonderful life. This is going to be the year of, of Scrooge, you know, and I'm going to actually experience the the, the final scene of everybody coming together and singing Kumbaya, and then it doesn't happen. And that's when, you know, the, the sexual temptations can run rampant towards oh, us. Oh, yeah. And uh, along with that, of course, uh, the loneliness that comes in this season. You know, we're talking about getting together with family and having expectations not met. But this is a lonely time of the year for people. Absolutely. For a lot of people, it certainly is. And you, and you can even be alone when you're with your family. Yeah. I mean, you, and you just experience the brokenness that's there, the secrets that are being kept, the judgments that are being, you know, you know, directed at other, other people. It's like, it can be a very difficult time. And so that, that unmet expectation of community, family that didn't work out, the, the, the loneliness that's felt, the isolation that exists, that, that is the bedrock. That's like the foundation of sexual temptation, you know, having a pull for, on us. And, and it's a lot easier to give in when you're experiencing a, a resurgence of those early childhood traumas within a family system or you're outside of the family system and you wish you were in a family system. You wish you had a family to be. And so it only makes sense then that we want to find some way to find pleasure, you know, to compensate for the pain. Now, maybe we should say tip number one is uh, try not to be that alone over the Christmas season. Go out of your way, you know, to connect with friends. You know, it's like if you don't get invited to an event, create an event. There's got to be other people that are, that are in your spot that would really appreciate and have a craving for a human connection. Yeah, and then, and then when you do get together with your friends and family, bring a therapist with you. 
<laughs> so, so like you could just like turn to them right away and like, okay, how do I navigate through this disappointment? How do I get through that critical comment? You know, <laughs> like, like this person just like, like just got mad at me for no reason. How, how am I going to keep from killing them right now and then going and acting out in some stupid way? <laughs> like bring your, bring a friend with you or something. Uh, it's certainly a great opportunity for things to grow and move in a positive direction. That's for sure. Totally. So we do have some five tips for you. And, and that last one was a freebie. Uh, but uh, the first tip that we had for you today was to get curious about what it looks like uh, to be addicted, what it looks like for you to be addicted. I mean, wh- how do you know if you are? How do you, how do you know if you need help? And getting curious is a big uh, first step, like getting curious about the information that's out there, the resources, and so forth. Oh, you know, you know, I think too. Just you know, just that word's a spooky word. Addiction. I mean, you you know, you think about some guy laying in the gutter. You th- you think about someone who's on DTs and on you know throws of pain. You know, reality is like let's 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 just bring it down a notch a little bit, shall we? You just like I gotta tell you, like. I love caffeine. I, I'd have to say I'm addicted. I was just thinking about Cheetos. I like sugar. I, I think I'm an addict. You know, and you, I definitely you have a you have a Dorito Cheeto addiction. Absolutely. Yeah. Does this make you a horrible person? No. Are we going to throw you under the bus because of it? No. But it does make me larger than life. Larger <laughs> <laughs> than you might want to be. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, my, only, my only point in that is that you know, let's not get so excited about the term addiction and just understand what it means. And, use, and referencing Doritos and caffeine is really kind of helpful because it helps you understand the mechanism of how addiction works. And in the middle of that, it gives you clues about how you can get free. So give us a, a definition, your definition of what addiction might be. Well, I'll give you a classical definition. A, a classical definition. And then the Doug. Yeah, yeah. Definition. Well, a classical definition of an addiction is it is a behavior you have, it might be a substance or a behavior, in which uh, there is uh, tolerance that develops. What tolerance means uh, for you to have the same, uh, I'm going to call it reinforcement or positive experience, you have to use more. So one cup of coffee used to be enough, now it's two. You know, one puff on a, you know, on a marijuana cigarette was enough, now I really need to smoke the whole bowl. So it, it's so there's a progression about how often you have to do this. So you know part of it is 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 tolerance. You know the other part is I'm actually blanking on what it is. Oh, go ahead. Uh, well, let me give me think about it. So basically, we're talking about compulsive behavior that's unmanageable, that's out of control, that's harming yourself, harming others, and and so we're talking about something that is unwanted in your life like and that you really do want to stop but you can't seem to stop on your own well that's certainly a fact you know and so that would be more of the layman's well and that's and really and that's good enough because you know ultimately when we look at in mental health it's like if you have a problem that is not well i use the word problem if you if you have a behavior i breathe air i breathe a lot of air i can't stop myself from breathing air well guess what I'm not harming anybody with my, you know, air breathing problem because it's not a problem because nobody's getting hurt. I have to do this. In fact, if I try to stop, I'm a compulsive air breather. I'm a compulsive heart pumping person. 
I mean, my point is, there's no harm done by these behaviors. You do, we don't qualify. We don't use the term addiction. Addiction kind of infers there's damage being done by the behavior. By the behavior. And I also think for a lot of guys, when they hear addiction, they think of hopelessness. They think, well, this is who I am and my identity, as opposed to a behavior that I have that's out of control and unmanageable that I can actually manage at some point, And I can actually deal with the root issues that have led to my acting out in these ways. And so it's so true. I mean, this is a behavior that became a habit. Yeah. And then and the habit, you know, basically, basically kind of like took over and had and had a component to it that was harmful. And so understanding the resources, like understanding the nature uh, of a, this compulsive behavior and how it develops and what it does within us and how all of the you know, brain neurotransmitters are working against us, uh, getting curious about understanding the anatomy of an addiction, uh, understanding the process of addiction and the way out of addiction. And so, you know, there are all kinds of great uh, resources, like, for example, the great porn experiment. You can, uh, you know, uh, Google that, Uh, you know, your brain on porn is a great site giving information. Of course, anything written by Dr. Patrick Carnes is, I mean, he's like the pioneer of exploration in this area of compulsive sexual addiction uh, behaviors and then, um, you know, also check out our Freedom U uh, uh, blogs as well to, to get some more information on what this thing looks like and some of the ways out of it. But getting curious is like the first step. Like, what is going on inside of me? What is happening to me that I can't control this thing? And I've said, this is the last time for how long? Like, forever, it seems. Like, it's always the last time again. I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again. Oh, my God. Like, I'm going to do it again. Like, I did it. Ah, crap. I'll never do it again. And that cycle just keeps going over and over and over until at some point we almost stop saying that. We just say, oh, I just probably can't quit. And that's so understanding, you know, the dynamics of what goes into this process of getting us into this place where we feel so inadequate and inept at conquering this thing. Like, sure. And there's great strategies on how to get off that merry-go-round. Well, and we've, we've latched onto a, a lot of those strategies and, and we've helped a number of guys get well, but that first step, and we see this all the time, guys will come and they'll get caught. They'll be, you know, they'll have been caught, you know, in some sexual behavior. And so they're in crisis and, and they'll come and they'll want to get help. And then we, you know, they're not curious though. They're, they're just trying to get out of jail. And so they'll come and they'll, they'll, they'll sign up in, into our course and, and they'll, they'll be part of a group or whatever. And, and then as soon as they get back in the house, they, they, they're okay all of a sudden. All of a sudden, they're, I'm healed. It's like Eddie Murphy in the movie Trading Places, you know, when he's begging for money and the cops finally come and lift him up and his legs drop down and he starts walking and goes, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Thank you guys so much. And like, we see a lot of guys and, and they get back into the house and it's like, it's a miracle. I'm all of a sudden, I'm completely okay. I don't have this issue going on in my life anymore. And then a month later, two months later, they're right back into the same pattern. They're caught again. And now they're in crisis to the point where they only, they don't only have desperation to get help, but now they have determination. And now they're really curious as to what's going on inside of them as to why they blew up their marriage again, why they blew up their family, why they blew up their job, why they blew up their social life, their finances, their health, whatever. 
And that's what Curious is all about. It's like finding out the why. It's it's. No, I still agree. I mean, to, to use your mind for knowledge is a part of it. But let's talk about the second. Yeah. And that's this. You, you have to actually break the silence. Ooh. And like, as we know, uh, most of us, you know, when we have behaviors that we're ashamed of, that the smart move is to be quiet. I mean, it's just like, you know, I mean, we learned this when we were three years old. Like, you know, who broke the lamp? Don't say a word. Don't admit anything. So breaking the silence, you know, it's like really goes against the grain. But reality is the secrets that we keep are the things that are empowered. And if you're keeping a secret about a shameful behavior, that just empowers and strengthens that behavior. Yeah, I heard somebody say a long time ago that most of us are willing to share 90% of what's going on in our life. But it's that 10% that we don't share that actually controls us. And so if we don't feel safe, if we don't feel confident in being able to share that 10% that we're hiding, that, that 10% is going to mess up the 90% that's good in our life, that's healthy in our life. It's going to erode into all of it. And so what, what do you think, you know, you alluded to it just a second ago, but let's expand on this a little more. Like, what do you think keeps people from, from wanting to share and, and to come out of hiding and, and no longer be secret? Well, you know, why, basically the, the consequences of telling the truth can be very painful. So whether it's a spanking from your dad, whether it's being laughed at in junior high or getting thrown under the bus at work, you know, or taking a serious hit, you know, in, in a marital relationship, there's reasons why people lie and there's reasons why people are silent. The only issue is that when we stay silent, we stay weak. And if you have something like an addiction where you really have lost control over it, you're not going to be able to handle that by yourself. So there's something about us as men that thinks, well, I can do this on my own and I, I can just pull myself up by the bootstraps and, and I should be able to, to handle this thing. I mean, I should be able to handle, you know, saying no to the Cheeto. Well, that kind of pride doesn't really work. It doesn't. So it's like what we've discovered is that, you know, it requires humility and honesty and also a human connection for us to get free. So that's tip number two. Break the silence. Find somebody that you can trust to tell your story to. I mean, start somewhere. Start somewhere where the risk is really small. Whether it's a therapist, a friend, a coach, a buddy, you know, someone, you know, where the likelihood where they're not going to throw rocks at you for the disclosure. And then you can take it from there. So specifically, it's not always a good idea to go and unload all this stuff on your spouse initially. Like that's not the good first place to start no, coming I, out of hiding. No, not at all. Because essentially, you you need to be rewarded, you know, from the experience. So if you if you choose someone who's going to feel the pain the most, or who's going to feel the most damage from your disclosure, that's I mean that's too high a bar to try to approach. Much smarter to go to a trusted confidant, a, a minister, a friend, a therapist, a small group. Well, and let's add on, though, like somebody who has some experience and some expertise in dealing with sexual issues, because, you know, I went to a minister like early on in my life and and they basically said, yeah, just you're absolved. Don't tell anybody else and live in hiding the rest of your life. And I'm like, oh, that sounds great. Thank you. You know, I mean, this like this gives me a free pass to live in secrecy the rest of my life. Well, let's refine the advice. How about how about this? You know, your first disclosure ought to be to someone who understands and has compassion for the nature of what you're dealing with. Yeah. 
you know, and hopefully someone who had has a track record of overcoming. Yes. And in that, you can experience both hope and compassion from that. Right. I mean, you don't want to just go and tell somebody who's got the same issue going on and who's struggling, and you say, "Hey, man, I've I've got this, you know, sexual issue going on in my life," and they're like, "Me too." Like, hey, well, hey, I'll just uh, let, let's just, you know. Journey on, brother. <laughs> you know, like, like we really want to find somebody that we're telling this to that can actually be a resource to us and help us in some way, right, Doug? Good point. That covers it. Yeah. I agree. So, uh, why don't we talk about number three? Point number three. Well, you know, this kind of leads into it. You know, it's like when you talk to people about your issue that are part of a community that celebrates honesty, that recognizes you know, the, the issue with compassion. And is developing a lifestyle, you know, that is living in freedom and wellness. The probability of yours beginning to experience help really expands. Now, here's the truth: I mean, it's very difficult to do something that goes against the flow, that goes against the current, by yourself. It's much. I, don't, I mean, I don't care if it's just getting on the track and going for a run in the morning. I don't care if it's like I'm going to eat this vegan food. Man, eating vegan food at, at a barbecue by yourself—that's horrible. But if you got a couple buddies that are doing it together, it's it's tolerable. So, point number three is get support. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so like you got ahead of us a little bit in the, in the points, which goes to show that we need support. We need other people helping us stay on track here. And you're not going to do this by yourself. <laughs> right, exactly. you know, this requires a, a, a small group or a large group or a community that celebrates the same values that you are now going after, which are wellness, honesty, humility, courage. There's a great, uh, TED talk on, uh, on it's, I think it's entitled what you think you knew about addiction isn't true. And what they, this guy is basically talking about is that you need a community to get well in. And this is kind of what we're talking about with support. It's not just one level of support. We need, we need a community of people. We need all sorts of different kinds of support systems. I mean, you know, in terms of individual counseling, therapy, coaching, we need, you know, small groups in which we can feel a sense of community in. And then we need real community in our family and with friends, people in our real life that we're actually taking the, the simulated, uh, you know, sort of, uh, uh, you know, practice sessions. Because let's face it, when you're with a therapist, you're paying them to be your friend. And when you're in a small group, you're sort of, you're there and everybody has to like you, so to speak. But when you're with your family and your friends and you're telling all this stuff too, and you're working through the issues of life, I mean, that's where the rubber meets the road. So we need support at every uh, level. And, you know, and it's good to re remind everybody that there are natural support systems that are in communities, S-A-S-A-A. Uh, -A -A. Those type of groups are very valuable and helpful. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the bottom line is that we, we need to understand that, that sexual addiction is not about changing a behavior. Sexual addiction is about intimacy. So when we're talking about getting, you know, free from this, this compulsive behavior that's unmanageable, out of control and undesirable to us and others, obviously, you know, we need connection in community. We need support. And, and the only way that we're actually going to get free, the only way that we're going to live well as we learn uh, how to live in intimacy and how we can, can go about getting that is through uh, finding support. Agreed. Right? 
Okay, so number four. Tip number four is making new habits. And, uh, you know, I have this thing where it's like so many times, like I hear guys saying, okay, this is the last time I've, I've, this is it. I've stopped this. This thing has ruined my life. I'm not going to do it again. And, and, and they just sit there white knuckling it, trying to resist, trying to resist, trying to resist. And eventually they break down because some temptation an urge an impulse comes along, some trigger comes along and, and boom, they're right back in the old behavior. And so what I've found is that, that the guys who are successful, I know even in my own life, my success in, in this journey into well-being and freedom into overcoming compulsive, unwanted behavior has to do with stopping something, but then starting something else, building new habits, healthy habits. And so some people like in the, in the, um, uh, uh, SAA community, for example, they'll refer to inner circle, middle circle and outer circle activity. And so the inner circle activity is the behavior that we really don't want to be doing. It's the behavior we want to stop. It's the unhealthy, deviant sexual behavior. Middle circle activity is basically the activity that leads into that inner circle. It's the triggers. It's the temptations. And living in that realm eventually will lead you into places that you don't want to be. So the idea is to not just stop being in the inner circle, but actually how to get into the outer circle, which is the green circle, the living circle, the place where you want to be living in health and well-being, wholehearted living. In other words, what is bringing passion in your life? What is bringing vision to your life? What do you get excited about? And if we can live for things that we're excited about, then living in relationship and community and building new habits towards that, then that's going to help us to stay out of middle circle and then inner circle. Oh, totally. You know, essentially the addictions are, are empowered when they're in a vacuum. If you when you're filling your life with positive activities and events, yeah. when you're involved socially, when you're involved uh, in, in, in causes, you know, when you are activating your mind through ed through ed educating yourself, whether you're, use you're doing hobbies, I mean, you fill your life up and it makes a total difference. I, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the studies that are known as Rat Park, but I want to say Tell something about, okay, here's Rat Park. Wait, can you spell that uh, so that? R-A-T. Oh, okay. P-A-R-K. Rat, Rat Park. Park. <laughs> okay, it sounds like a skateboarding deal or something. Well, here's the deal. It's like, here's, here's how you could create an addict. You put him, you put it, you, here's how you turn a rat into an addict. You put him into a cage by himself where there's food, water, and cocaine. Okay. They push the lever and they can get food, they can get water, they yeah. go, okay. Well, guess what? That lonely rat, you know, ultimately pushes that cocaine button, likes it, and then the next thing you know, he's not eating or drinking, practically kills himself with a cocaine addiction because he keeps hitting that lever because yeah. he can't stop it. And it's, again, it's, he does, has, he has tolerance, he needs more and more to get the high, and it's compulsive, he can't help himself. Guess what happens when you take that addicted rat and you put him into a bigger cage with a lot of other rats that have toys to play with, mazes to run through, balls to kick around, a variety of foods to eat. Uh, a wheel to roll a, on. A wheel to roll on. <laughs> exactly. What happens to that addicted rat? You know, guess what? The addicted rat still takes cocaine, but guess what? Very, very occasionally. Huh. The addiction goes away. Wow. 
that that doesn't mean they never do it at all. But it's kind of like, but it's like, you know, it's like, you know, only before a Reds game or only before the Led Zeppelin concert, only. That kind of a thing. The, the point is, a rat that was killing itself with, with its addiction, once it's in an environment where, where there's social connection and lots of other positive activities to pursue, you know, the addiction just drops off and falls away. Now, we've seen human studies where this is the same thing happened. Look at the Vietnam vets that came back. They were addicted to opioids. You know, 97% of them just quit spontaneously because their life was reengaged. So here, here's my point. If you live like you're in Rat Park versus like you're a solo rat all by yourself, you know, you are going to get well. And it's building those new habits, new opportunities that's going to make the, the pull, the draw, the impulse towards the addiction really get very weak and start to stop. Yeah, that's so good. So making new habits to even be in community. Absolutely. Making new habits to connect. Social habits. new habits to forgive for uh, new habits to... How you think. To reset. How you manage your, how you manage your emotions. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Like, and even to be aware of our emotions, like making a habit to sit down and like being aware of how we're feeling. And speaking, and speaking of that, let's talk about tip number five. Well, let me, let me, before we do that, let oh, me yeah. just clarify something okay. real quick. So when you were saying like in rat park, they're, they're the rats hitting the lever and will eventually die hitting that lever. Mm-hmm. But when they're placed in community, they only do it every so often. So are you suggesting that, like our guys out there, I mean, it's okay to do porn like like every once in a while, like if as long as they're doing it every six months, or hey, they're okay. Or uh, no, I'm just telling you what happened in Rat Park. Oh, okay, all right. Just wanted to just wanted to clarify. In Rat so, Park, they occasionally took cocaine. The other I was, rats, I was just the out. other maybe rats, maybe like, like if you're going, like, hey, honey, I'm going to a concert, so <laughs> so just beware. <laughs> but I'm bringing a condom. Don't worry about it. Yeah, no, no, I I'd have to say that you know. Typically, you know, abstinence from wrong way sex is is their best bet. Absolutely, because there's so many positive ways to experience sexuality. We don't even, we don't want to talk about that on this podcast. But rather than sex being compulsive and dirty and furtive, it can be fabulous and oh, glorious. Yeah, sex is amazing and amazing and long lasting. And and so rather than feeling like there's something like really wrong with you, yeah, you can end up feeling like hey, there's something very right well, about a- me. And my sexual habit right there. There's a new habit. And that is like, like having sex with your wife. And here's a a good way to build a new habit or building a new habit in even wanting your wife more. There have been studies that have shown that, that when you touch your wife and when your wife touches you just on your shoulder or strokes your hair, her hair, or just hold hands or snuggle, cuddle that, that studies have been uh, done to show that, that, all the guys who look at your wife, like in this study, they'll see her at a certain level of beauty. But as you've been cuddling, snuggling, and so forth, you actually see them as way more beautiful than before you started snuggling, cuddling. You see them the way the other people see them. But when you are, when your oxytocin hormone and neurotransmitter is engaged a lot, you actually start enjoying and and craving your wife way more. So a healthy habit in getting rid of like this sexual addiction cycle is to start cuddling with your wife more. Now to be able to do that, you're going to need to, to work through other issues of communication, of forgiveness, of, of trust and, and so forth, which is why you need support, which is why you need to come out of secrecy, which is why you need to be curious about what's even going on in you so that you can get to that place where you can start making new habits. 
So let's, uh, what, what what's tip number five, Doug? Get some professional help. Yeah. You know, like this is a tough issue to, to solve on your own. I mean, you can take these tips and go a long way, but I have to tell you, getting a professional coach to help you, a counselor is really a smart. How do you find a professional therapist that you can trust in this issue? Well, you word of mouth. I mean, if, if you are in some environments where there are people that are in recovery from sex addiction and just like what name comes up as being a great therapist in your community, that's always a good approach. Uh, There's people that have, that are certain. Should they ask questions of the therapist? Before they even go, like, hey, what is your experience in this field? Well, if, if you're just doing cold calls and you're just checking out therapists, ask them, you know, how good are you at this? How proficient are you? Is this a specialization of yours? Because yeah. it is a specialization. It is. So I would definitely want to see a therapist who specializes in treating sex addiction or compulsive sexuality. Most therapists don't have a clue as to the dynamics of what goes into not only normal addiction, but sexual addiction, especially. Well, you're right. So it's like, find a specialist. As far as how you do that, it can be word of mouth. Uh, you, can, you can contact a, um, your, your uh, state board of, concerning therapists and ask for specializations. Psychology Today actually has a resource as well where you can like, look for local therapists that they approve, and they mm-hmm. actually give a little bio mm-hmm. uh, of what they specialize in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and then you need to follow up from that because sometimes therapists, you know, they want more clients, so they'll market, you know, and saying, Hey, I do this or that. Right. But you, so, so, so asking them some questions about their speciality That's good. And, their, and their experience. Yeah, and, and, the, and finally, I'd say, you know, when you look at counseling, you have to understand that you're going to have an immediate need to like actually stop a behavior. And then once the behavior is like somewhat controlled, you have to be able to pop the hood and figure out what is the pain that's underneath what was, what's been driving that behavior. And that's a different type of therapy that you'd be involved in. And then you're going to find out that you've got a broken relationship with a spouse. And that's going to require a different type of approach. So you might need some crisis counseling to start to just figure out which way's up. And then you're going to need some cognitive therapy stuff going on. You're going to need some trauma counseling stuff going on. You're going to need some family you know, well, sure. Well, listen, Kevin, let's just, let's just self-promote here for a second. What you needed to go is with a, a program, an agency that's comprehensive, like right. ours, like Freedom U, yeah. where the relapse prevention work up front, the crisis work is done, where the ongoing work of, of solving and healing the pain that's been driving this yeah. process is addressed, where the marriage therapy is done, where the, the work for the spouse, I mean, the support that she needs is going to be covered, where broken relationships yeah. with children can be mended where the group process can be involved and where, and where someone's basically managing and staying on top of all of that for each client, you need that comprehensive approach because there's such a variety of needs that are required that typically if you just have, if you just call one therapist out of a phone book, they're not going to be able to do all those things for you. That's not the nature of it. So you may have to get four or five if you're going to do a local thing. You might have to. Or you use a program like us that is comprehensive and covers all those bases. Well, I think that's very well said. And, and so I think that uh, what I'd like to leave our audience with today is the fact that this is Christmas season and Christmas is supposed to be a season of hope, of light. And so I guess in, in you know, wrapping up our show for today, I'd just like to extend just a Christmas encouragement 
to say that, you know, we don't have to live in our addictions. We don't have to live in hopelessness, but there is hope. And this Christmas season is a testament to that hope that when Jesus came, he really came to, to bring freedom and, and we can live free and we can live well. So I'd encourage you this Christmas season, go ahead and do it. Start living free and live well. And if you do, it will be the best Christmas gift that you've ever given anybody, including yourself. Come on. So we'll see you next year. Thanks. Bye, everybody. Hey, guys, it's Kevin here. If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Visit us at freedomu.net for more resources. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Until next time, live free and live well.